Dad, I have to go. No, you don't. Yes, I do. I really do. We just stopped. I couldn't go. The bathroom is too gross. Well, can't you hold it in? I can't. It's an emergency. Honey, there's a restaurant. No, that's three miles off the road. Then that's three miles back. We lose ten minutes. So what? Your Call daughter has to go to the bathroom. All right, all right, all right, Jason, stop, Jason, stop. just look back there for an empty jar. A jar? Girls don't pee in jars. Oh, all right, sorry. Jason, we're going to need a jar and a funnel. Dad, I don't have to pee. It's number two. Sorry, I can't stop. Dad, I'm prairie dogging it. What the hell does that mean? You know, like when a prairie dog sticks his head in and out of the ground. Ow! Ow! Oh, I do not want to picture that. I hate you! I hate you! All right, nobody look. All right, I'm going to turn on the radio, honey, so nobody can hear you. Okay, nobody can hear you, honey. Push away. Hey, guys. Hey. So we want to talk to you today about a movie that is near and dear to our hearts, or, you know, it was. It was previously, and now we both hate it. <laughs> like, really hate it. <laughs> uh, and that movie is Rat Race, which came out in 2001. Growing up, this was like peak comedy to me. And I obviously have not seen this movie since I was... I guess 11 or 12, but I didn't mm -hmm. think that it was going to be this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think I just always considered it as like one of those funny movies that I enjoyed in my youth when slapstick was still like a form right. of comedy in the 2000s. Um, but yeah, it doesn't, doesn't hold up. Um, but it is a, what is the word I'm looking for? A time capsule of a period of time in comedy that just like we don't have movies like this anymore because this movie is largely meaningless. And additionally, I would like to note that for a movie that is so lowbrow, <laughs> there's just a lot happening. And it's it's a little difficult to talk about um, when you're not actually directly watching yeah. it. And simultaneously, nothing is going on. Yes, everything and nothing. Um, it, it is, it's a Mobius strip of just like 2001 comedy. Just to get into some macro details, directed by Jerry Zucker, uh, you know, famous director, previously did Airplane. <laughs> um, runtime of one hour and 52 minutes. Again, like, we don't get comedy movies that are this long anymore, unless there's like a reason for it. There wasn't a reason for no, this being almost two hours long. I can tell you that. And I feel like, you know, it definitely, there's definitely a director's cut out there, this being a three hour movie that did not need to be made. And also, release date uh, for all you Americans at home, August 17th, 2001. So we, at this point, as a nation, are like, what, like weeks away from 9-11? And this is as blissfully unaware and myopic a movie as could be made at that point. And then immediately afterwards, uh, we don't get movies like this. Uh, and that's actually like kind of a motif that we wanted to work with on the podcast is that there was a, a definite tonal shift, especially in movies and especially comedy when, uh, you know, sort of like the cultural bleed of the 90s, you know, let us make uncomplicated slapstick. And then suddenly everything had to be serious and everything had to have a meaning. But a lot of other movies where, you know, like they were kind of casualties of this era because they just didn't have a place in culture. But today we're going to talk about Rat Race, a movie that definitely doesn't have a place in our culture today. Uh, one more thing to note about Rat Race is it is a remake of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. <laughs> and um, that's also a slapstick movie. However, while the primary subject of trying to obtain a, a large sum of money runs through both of these movies, the original is different. There are different characters. The 
money is actually stolen money from a bank heist. Mm -hmm. um, what would we do I for just, $2 million? Not what they what, did. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, There's a lot of desperation in this movie. <laughs> but just before we get into that, so if you're unfamiliar with the movie Rat Race, a brief, brief synopsis, eccentric billionaire Donald Sinclair, played by John Cleese, somehow tricks like six different teams of people to compete in a race to get $2 million in cash, uh, which is stuffed inside of a duffel bag inside of a train station locker in like Silver City, New Mexico. Um, but they definitely did get just like the unpleasant nature of driving through the desert. Yeah, it, it's it, like if you don't like looking at just like vast stretches of the American West, this movie's not for you. <laughs> um, yeah, so budget of $48 million and a worldwide gross of eight, I think it's like $85 million. So kind of like an okay success given the period of time this came out in. Um, and it's this cast is like, a, this cast and the cameos are just like a real who's who of 2001 comedy. It's like John Cleese of the Monty Python dynasty, Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean himself, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, Cuba Gooding Jr., Seth Green, uh, Wayne Knight, uh, aka, I'm pretty sure that's Newman from Seinfeld. Yes. Um, John Lovitz, who I want to see more of, Brecken Meyer, Kathy Jimmy, and Amy Smart. Wait, is it Brecken or Brecklin? I think it's Brecken. Interesting. I've always thought Brecklin. <laughs> Interesting. I love that. <laughs> Learn something new every day. I mean, I don't know. What the fuck kind of name is Brecken, too? I don't. I'm going to look this up. He's yeah. just a pleasing man to look at, and we're going to get into Oh, it is Brecken. Oh, okay. You were right. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what did you like and dislike about this movie? So the fact that it was a, presented itself like a live action cartoon. I feel like, you know, while I don't actively crave slapstick comedies now as an adult, I still, I grew up with them. So I definitely still enjoy that aspect of like looking back to movies of this era. Um, I also will forever love John Lovitz being a neurotic man. It speaks to me personally being a neurotic woman. So four stars, five stars for him. And it's very easy to follow. You don't feel mm -hmm. lost in the characters. You don't like when it, they finally come back to a character that you were watching previously, mm -hmm. you don't feel like you can't remember what they were up to. You right. have a very vivid memory of what you, they were doing. You don't get lost in this movie. And another thing we talked about off air, like this is something that, you know, content aside would be something that like if I were teaching film studies is like the ultimate three act structure. It is just so textbook in how it's laid out. The conceit of it is very simple. It's like all like John Cleese literally tells you the rules of his weird little contest at the beginning. Um, and that's it. You don't really, yeah. I mean, like my dislike, like likes and dislikes. It's a road movie. I really love road movies. Um, Brecken Meyer, another alum of the famous movie Road Trip, which is also doesn't hold up. Um, it's a live action cartoon. Um, this movie's relationship with physics is something I really love. Uh, and Smash Mouth. It's it just the two main celebrity cameos that you need to pull from this are... Oh, oh, that was a like for you. That was a like for me. Um, that was a dislike for me. You didn't like, you didn't appreciate Gloria Allred and Smash Mouth as the 2001 cameos in this? It was, it was jarring. It was definitely something I had for completely forgotten about and then rewatching. <laughs> they have a good chunk of like the last 15 minutes. Of the they movie. are. They're, they're like, in there for a while. They are. And they're like not really giving you much of anything until like the final, like the closing credits. Yes. When they, you know, of course they sing All Star because what else? What did you think they were going to sing? I can't name another Smash Bros song. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, good for them though. They're yeah. still. That's not a lot of play. 
at that time because there was this mystery men shrek shrek <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so that was like before we get into like the uh, well, hold on yeah if that was a like for you yes what are uh, <laughs> some dislikes on. some dislikes i'm curious okay um characterization is very very uneven we get like a lot of insight into who like brecken meyer is as a person as like our de facto protagonist but then like we get very 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 face level you know facile characterization of like Whoopi goldberg and the daughter that she gave up for adoption which i feel like is they kind of lose just like paper over that very quickly yeah so <laughs> and also yeah like this movie's treatment of just like women in comedy is very weird and also just they make a ton of just like queer phobic jokes that don't hold up. Uh, yeah, but that's pretty much it. Other than that, like, you know, it's watchable. Yeah, I could, I don't know how watchable it is after our 17 millionth no. time watching. No. Um, I, I would like to note that this is our second time mm -hmm. trying to do this podcast for this movie specifically. So we're pretty uh, tapped out with Rat Race. Mm -hmm. uh, our first attempt is just we realized how convoluted this plot can yes. get when discussing it in this medium uh, yeah. so round two here we go yeah it sounds insane to just recite the synopsis of this movie or just like the the events that unfold in this movie on their own abstract if you're just listening about it are so off-putting and insane and there's a reason behind that um so what we're gonna do is kind of just like break it down character team by character team the movie kind of makes it a little very very easy uh something that i noticed upon like my third rewatch of this is that like we don't really get a lot of intersection or interaction between these characters throughout like most of the movie. It's a little Rashomon in that effect of like- Hold on. Okay, I, I have a <laughs> I, point with this. I just, okay, go ahead. It's like, okay, it's Rashomon in that like we get different perspectives of like something happening at the same time. Like they drive past each other or like they're, you know, one person stopped at the diner and then like, you know, like we and, get- And for our listeners yeah. who are not familiar with Rashomon, why mm. is that such a wild comparison? Because Rashomon is like one of the most critically acclaimed films of all time. And this is the movie Rat Race. <laughs> so take with that what you will, I don't care. I'm just gonna, so like, I love how we have two completely different styles of podcasting and that like you were very measured and structured and composed. And I'm just here like, these are my opinions. <laughs> Listen to his opinions and mine for that matter. <laughs> they're not good opinions. I'm not, I'm not saying they're great. We're not promising you that our opinions are no. good, but we are going to tell you that you, you got to listen to them. You're not guaranteed greatness, millennials. <laughs> and nobody ever tells you that until adulthood. Anyway, rat race. <laughs> so we, we broke it down into like the six teams who are competing for the $2 million unmarked bills in a duffel bag, which also you what? You, you just have $2 million of bills. Explain that to your bank. First of all, um, so yeah, so John Cleese plays an, ex he calls himself an eccentric billionaire, um, but really he's a sadist and apparently leads a cabal of billionaires who um, have apparently nothing better to do, but like place bets in a Las Vegas casino about the suffering of poor people. And that's kind of how this movie starts is that like they just pick random people. Yeah, that alone I think is reason enough where this movie couldn't be made today. No, but um, no. but you know, that's this is two thousand one, so we're putting ourselves back in that mindset. Yeah, a hot take that I set off the air is that um, the twenty twenty version of this would have been the hunt, which is kind of a similar premise in that it's just like rich people betting on the support, like yes. pain and suffering of average people. Yes, like a purge. Hunt-esque, yeah. yes. But this is just like a fun romp, apparently, like masking very anti-capitalist tones in it, which is, I love that part. Um, yeah, so we're gonna kind of just like take apart 
Breckenmeyer and Amy Smart. This is probably the most easy to understand dynamic because it's like hot white guy into hot white lady. Of course, they're the protagonists of a 2001 comedy. Yeah, white lady who's, you know, all American blonde. Mm -hmm. Very, that's also important to note, I think. Yes, and Breckenmeyer who kind of like, there's a lot of him at this time. If you watch the movie Road Trip as well, he, it's the same character. He is like a blank canvas, like a nice guy who follows the rules. Yes. And that's his character. And that's as much as you get in this movie. He meets Amy Smart, who whose character's name is Tracy Fawcett. I feel like these names are made up, but they're not. I feel like they're from like a comic book. They sound, yeah, they sound like comic book characters. And this, this movie sounds and looks like a cartoon. Yes. Um, like I'm waiting for like the Jessica Rabbit-esque like Looney Tunes animation, you know? Like, right. I'm waiting for that to come into this movie and it never does. It's almost like, okay, so if you think back to actual Looney Tunes with like Roadrunner mm -hmm. and like all of them like setting traps for each yeah. other, it, it feels very Looney Tune-esque yes, with, yes. with just people. Yeah, like that is, especially, you know, like you have heavy hitters in comedy at the time, like Whoopi Goldberg, John Lovitz. Yeah. Like people who, you know, if you were a lot like cognizant of comedy in the 90s, like they are like Looney Tunes brought to life. And I'm pretty sure they probably have collaborated with Warner Brothers from one time or another. Yeah, I just, it's just one, it's wild that, I mean, at the time, I guess comedy was different and that that's why they agreed to do something like this. Mm -hmm. But just to see that they're getting put in these like ridiculous slapstick situations that would kill a normal human being. <laughs> and like, they were all like, I don't know what the, you know, conversation was behind the scenes. Um, but they clearly were convinced that this was the route to go. I, I do think actually John Cleese went on record saying this was one of his most favorite movies. That makes a lot that of he's sense done. for him. So that's, yeah. Um, you know. Yeah, that was another dislike is just the fact that like, I don't like John Cleese or Rowan Atkinson as people. So re refresh my memory as to why they're both so terrible. Uh, John Cleese gets into like Twitter arguments with like millennial women. Okay. He's one of those who's just like, well, back in my day, you could say anything you want. And this yes. makes a lot of sense that he would love this movie. Right. And Rowan Atkinson voted for Brexit. Oh. So that's that gives you a little insight into who he is now. Okay. So, yeah, it's basically just the fact that, like, it's kind of like the old guard of, you know, white male straight comedy. This is kind of their swan song. Yeah. Encapsulated in about one hour and 52 minutes. Uh, next up, we got Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> and Lene Chapman, who... I was looking at her Wikipedia page because it was a little more sparse. Um, she was in White Man Can't Jump. And then obviously we know who Whoopi Goldberg is. You know, both our mothers watch The View. So. Yeah. Um, and, you know, also Whoopi Goldberg, like at this time, probably the peak of her comedy fame because she's coming off of like The Sister Act and The Sister Act 2. Yeah. And, you know, a, a major critique I have of this movie is just the fact that like we don't see enough of them, you know, for like a huge star like Whoopi Goldberg at this time. Like we barely get any screen time of her. I, yep. Yep, I would agree with that. So, and again, like uneven characterization that we never get back to because they're women and they're women of color. Uh, and Whoopi Goldberg, who plays a character named Vera Baker, is like a laid back. I don't really know if we know what she does for a living. I think that's kind of the point. Yeah. So the idea is that she gave up her daughter for adoption right. and they are just completely opposite people. Right. Um, I think it was that her daughter... Uh, tracked her down and reached out to her because mm -hmm. she wanted to meet her birth mother. And this is kind of their first meeting and right. their first interaction is like going on this quote rat race together yeah. because they just so happen to be in the right place at the right time or wrong place, <laughs> yeah. right, wrong anyway, time, no, whatever yeah. you want to yeah, call it. And it. I feel like 
angry business lady as her, uh, you know, daughter that she gave up for adoption, played by Lene Chapman, is, um, was a trope. That was a definite trope of yes. just like you couldn't be a woman in business. Like she shows up in like a very especially a woman of color. Oh no 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 no. She like as a black woman, this did not age well. She shows up. We don't know what she does either, but we know that she's an executive of some type or a CEO because she's yelling at someone on a 2001 cell phone because it's got the antenna. Mm -hmm. uh, she crushes the cell phone in her hand because she also has rage issues that are getting to like all the women with rage here. Uh, she crushes it in her hand and uh, like understandably Whoopi Goldberg is looking at her like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And she's just like literally verbatim, it's okay, I have stairs is a thing that she says, and then we move completely away from that. Yes. And we also never come back to her having rage issues. Having Whoopi Goldberg in such, like, what could have been such a big role, it was a little disappointing to see that she didn't really have no any screen time compared to the others. No, and we never, yeah, we never get, like, I feel like there probably was so much more footage of those two. Mm -hmm. Because we also, you know, like, again, their character arc is the fact that she gave her daughter up for adoption. We never get that as a conflict, even in comedy. It's just they, they decide no they yeah, love they, each other. Yeah, which is very weird. And I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. Yeah. Um, next team is Seth Green and Vince Villaluf. I don't know who that actor is. Uh, he was in my, and I, I don't want to actually say that I love this movie because this was the same era, but um, Grind, the skateboarding movie. Yes. He yeah, was that's in the other, that. That's the big thing that came up on his IMDb. Which I, I loved Grind, but uh -huh. I have not seen Grind since I was about 12 years old. So this might, that is probably another situation of if I were to rewatch it right. today, I would probably be just as mortified as I was while watching Rat Race. Yeah. And <laughs> so Seth Green and Vince Villaluf play two brothers named I love these names, Dwayne and Blaine Cody. And I love when brothers have rhyming names. I wish we got to meet their parents at some point, but there was like a, you know, I assume, side, I assume they're dead. Plot. I assume they're dead in this universe. <laughs> I can believe that. So That's believable. The, the, the Wikipedia for like official Wikipedia for this says that the two brothers subsist by committing tax fraud or something. And I'm like, I love that. For hot. Them. Yeah, it's very hot. When we meet them, and this is where we get the Gloria Allred uh, cameo is they're basically just hanging around this hotel that John Cleese owns, trying to just like induce like a slip and fall. Like he tries to push his brother down an escalator, uh, but in instead someone else falls and Gloria Allred, you know, pounces on that because apparently that's what she was doing at the time. Um, but yeah, so we get Seth Green and Vince Villaluf, Blaine and Dwayne Cody as kind of like an Of Mice and Men duo. That's a very hot take. It's a very hot take, but I mean, like, is it is it wrong? I wouldn't say it's wrong. Blaine is definitely the like stupid brother, and yeah. Dwayne is. I mean, he's also stupid, but he's supposed to he's be like more the intelligent. Of the yes. Yeah. Um. And the but the other, uh, I guess, running joke with them is that Blaine he got his tongue pierced, so it's infected, and he can't properly <laughs> speak the whole movie. And this is kind of I do have to give it to him. This was kind of funny. So like basically, anytime Blaine would talk, it would be like muffled, garbled, yeah. and then Dwayne would have to like translate translate whatever he said for the audience. Yes. And that was actually a bit that I personally didn't think got old. I kind of no, thought no, no, it was that, funny the whole way through. That holds up. I love the, and also like we learn eventually that Vincent, like Blaine is just like addicted to piercings. Yes. Which is something that plays very well into this movie. Um, and that's another thing is that like apparently in this movie we learned that Blaine Cody has a, has a nipple piercing. And I'm like, that's Yeah, he flashes that to like a woman in a car and she's really yeah. into it, which I, to be honest, if a man just flashed his nipple, nipple piercing, piercing at me on the highway, I feel like I would just 
keep going. I'd I crash my car because I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing, <laughs> sir? To each their own. And this woman, it was her own. So they have a lot of pure success. I, in my fan fiction of this, they hook up after the events of the movie. Oh, you have a fan fiction. I have a fan fiction for every movie we're doing. Okay. And in my fan fiction afterwards, they're hooking up and they get their piercings caught within one another because that's very rat race. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like that. And then, like, we get um, what's that song that they always use whenever anyone is horny? I believe in miracles. Yeah, I think that song was in the trailer, too. We were gonna put the trailer in here even though it's a visual medium it's still the sounds I think would mm -hmm. give you guys a good idea of what this movie brings to the table but because this movie was so long ago yeah. um all of the sound quality is awful <laughs> so and bad. I don't think people are rushing to upload this trailer to YouTube yeah so <laughs> so let's get into John Lovitz oh finally <laughs> uh their storyline by far is my favorite yes I don't know why See, I did like Seth Green and Vince Villalof. Just because I liked that they had extreme slapstick in mm -hmm, their bits. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that John Lovitz and Kathy, Kathy Najimy, Najimy, um, they had, like I think, the most relatable dynamic. Yes, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, and this is very Looney Tunes, and feel free to spar with me on this, is that like both John Lovitz and Kathy Najimy, very, very iconic actor and actress of comedic roles mm -hmm. and very, very good husband and wife energy. I really like them as husband and wife. Uh, so when we're introduced to them, John Lovitz and Kathy and Jimmy, uh, Randy and Beverly pair. I didn't get the kids names. God, I, that was their last, that was the last name. They were the pair family. And I think that's so hot. Um, so they're coming to Las Vegas to see David Copperfield. Yeah. <laughs> your face right now. Yeah, that's I... why they're there. It's like, they're going to go see a David Copperfield show. Kathy and Jimmy, for whatever reason, to John Lovitz, Randy Pear, is like, you're not going to go gamble, are you? And he's like, no, I'm just going to take a walk around. He gambles, like Ron Howard narrator. Like, he immediately does something that he's not supposed to be doing. And that's how he ends up uh, ensnared in the whole, like, John Cleese, um, like, bet thing. Is like, how that's how they get into this. They just had, like, such a relatable dynamic. Like, mm -hmm. it's, even if you don't know people, like, even if you can't see yourself in these two, you at least know people who yeah. are one or the other. And, um, like you said, with the whole just, like, no, I'm not going to go gamble. And then the first thing he does as, is go gamble. Dad, it's go it's gamble. like such a dad move. It is. And especially, I think they're coded as, like, a very Jewish East Coast family. And as someone from, like, you know, you're from PA, but you have a lot of family in New Jersey. I grew up in northern New Jersey, they felt very, very relatable to us as like, oh, these could be our neighbors. Yes. Like they're very like wacky neighbor. And like, I think the Looney Tunes aspect of this comes out in their wardrobe specifically in that they're very clearly on vacation. He's wearing like a Hawaiian shirt. Yes. She's wearing a maxi dress. Oh, loved it. Like it's just, it, it is perfect. Like kudos to that costume designer. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the costume design in this movie is impeccable from Vince Villalove's huge tongue ring to the Pear family just as a unit. And they have two kids. I didn't write their names down because we don't really get much of that. They're not really characters in this movie. No, they just, they help to like create tension yes. for the parents. Yeah. Like if John Lovitz thinks he's like getting away with something, you could, mm -hmm. chances are you could rely on the children to point it out to the mother so he no longer gets away with it. Oh yeah. And <laughs> the premise of the Pear family too, going on this journey, 
John Lovitz does not tell his wife or kids that they're going on this journey. Which I thought was so strange. So like, insane. why wouldn't you tell your family? Did Was that part of the instructions that they weren't allowed to no, tell? Okay. No, they, not at all. So it's he just, could have told his family, like, yes, hey, we have this opportunity to win To make $2 million. And I'm pretty sure they probably would have been on board. But no, he goes through deception in terms of, like, I have a job opportunity. We need to go now. Fuck yes. David Copperfield. Yes. <laughs> Everybody get in the van. So, yeah, so he basically is just like, $2 million. I'm in. Fuck my wife and kids. And that's very much of that time, too, when, like, there was a lot of, like, especially straight couples at this time. Were they okay? Were you all okay? Because it feels like straight couples in the 2000s actively hated each other. That whole dynamic of, like, a husband and wife where the husband thinks the wife is is annoying and Mm -hmm. the wife thinks the husband is, like, a dumb brute is, like, a trope that exists far beyond just this decade this is unfortunately this this is them but jewish yes and i love this for them but let's talk about rowan atkinson in the most useless role in this movie i I just he this is a plot point where i think or i don't even call it a plot point this is just an area of the movie (laughs) that could we could have just been cut out i hated this i really and he gives nothing um i feel like he's he's, not funny no and i like did you find Mr. Bean funny ever in your life? I think so, but I think that was because, like, my dad thought he was Same. funny. Yeah. And so I think as, like, a small, impressionable child, I just assumed that whatever my dad thought was funny was, like, the height of comedy. <laughs> no, I get that. And your dad actually does have a good taste in comedy. He does! Yeah. So I just think he has very, like, Rowan Atkinson is very, like, for for the dads. It is, yeah. And it's a, it's an older style of comedy because he's... Okay, I summed up in my notes here that Rowan Atkinson as Enrico Pellini is basically just like a narcoleptic Italian Mr. Bean. Like, he's exactly, he's Mr. Bean, but with an offensive Italian accent. Is it even supposed to be an Italian accent? Yes, I just... he's, he's Enrico Pellini. <laughs> it's like, it's like that's the extent of his accent work. And then he just does, like, fuddling around Mr. Bean humor. And he's just like, oh, look at that. Yes, that is actually how he sounds he in has, the movie. Like, no actual lines. He just kind of, like, mumbles Italian Mr. Bean phrases. And... Um, he's also narcoleptic <laughs> in this for no reason. This adds nothing. And actually, no, I feel like this was an attempt at a joke because it's like, ah, he's falling asleep standing up. If anything, he's the dark horse in this race. Yes. Because he's the one who almost wins, but then he falls asleep as he's like about to open the locker. Um, and it's just so fucking useless. I did appreciate Wayne Knight. If you know Newman from Seinfeld. He plays like very much like a Newman yes. type of character. Um, you know, Space Jam. That yeah, whole, yeah, that this whole, is very him. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was, seeing those two together was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, he yeah. plays like a, a medical supply driver who picks up Rowan Atkinson, like on the side of the, well, he hits Rowan Atkinson <laughs> and car. then like, like the ambulance that he's driving yeah. and he, uh, and in order to like prevent Rowan Atkinson from suing him, even though he probably would not have gotten sued no. anyway, um, he offers to give him a lift to Silver Springs, New Mexico. And, um... <laughs> And he is also transporting heart, I think. Okay, this which... part really annoyed me because he's like, he tells Rowan Atkinson and Rico Pellini about the heart in the cooler, which I feel like, I feel like when you're transporting a heart, you need more than a cooler. I mean, maybe not, but you know. definitely wouldn't, I don't think you would just be picking up people people, yeah, and then telling them about the heart in yeah, your car. Exactly. I'm like, okay, everyone, that's another thing, a motif in this movie, everyone is actively committing felonies. <laughs> everyone is actively committing so many felonies. And yeah, and here with 
uh, Wayne Knight hitting Rowan Atkinson with a van. And then he, yeah, he's the one who tells them about the heart. They, that does not need to be a thing. I don't also, I don't know. I'm not squeamish. I just don't like seeing organs outside of a body. I don't think that's weird. I think that's True. a lot of people okay. feel that way. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, and then very, and then again, very Looney Tunes, the heart is still beating, which I don't think that's true. I, I mean, maybe it is if you, I think at one point they like, they touch like a live wire yes. fence, yeah. which is what kickstarts the beating heart. Yeah. So that might be correct. <sighs> but okay. That brings us. Yeah. Just, <laughs> so, I, the, oh God, finally, we get to Cuba Gooding Jr., who is also someone that we hate. We really don't like any of these characters. No. If, but um, I, I don't know if you're supposed to like them, but like no. we like we like them even less than I think. I think the only character, oh, the only like characters slash actors I like in this movie are John Lovitz and Kathy Jimmy and like kind of Breck and Meyer. Yeah. And that's kind of it. If the movie was just them, I would have loved it. Um. <laughs> So yeah, Cooper Gooding Jr. He is the, um, he is a disgraced football referee who made a bad call. So basically, everybody right. hates him. Yes, every man in this movie who is not part of the race but is into football actively wants to murder him at any chance they get. And yeah, so yeah, I guess he's like the 2001 version of canceled because like. He's trying to like lay low when we first meet him mm -hmm. and people are always like, Hey, you look familiar. Aren't you? And he's like, no, no, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. Which is very interesting because I think like we were talking about this like a few days ago. Um, I don't know. Have you seen the American crime story about OJ Simpson? No, I actually and never saw that. It's, it's okay. It's, it's fine. It's passable. Um, but Cuba Gooding Jr. He also plays uh, OJ Simpson. I don't know what, what did he do in real life that like, he, um, I think sexual assault charges. Oh. Oh. And I think he also, I don't know like the number, but it was definitely more than one woman came forward. Okay. My thing is if you watched both Rat Race and his portrayal of OJ Simpson, it's kind of the same character. Interesting. It's very similar in, in terms of just like, he's trying to lay low. Everybody, you know, recognizes him from his like 15 minutes of fame. And OJ Simpson's case, it's a little bit different because he was a known entity at that point. But like, he's trying to lay low and he is like a canceled man. And <laughs> that's kind of like Cuba Gooding Jr. That's kind of his like arc. Um, yeah, so I think talking about the plot of this movie just in its entirety, as we tried with our first attempt at recording we this. We would be here for a full 24 hours. We would be. And also it sounds insane <laughs> to describe it because it's describing like a dream, like a fever dream of a Looney Tunes cartoon. Uh, so it's a road movie, just to reiterate, if you're just joining us. <laughs> and so the trajectory is like, they're trying to go from Las Vegas to Silver City, New Mexico, which I don't actually know how long, how long that is a distance. It's over 500 miles. I actually think that that might've been like one of the taglines is like 593 miles. miles or something oh, okay. like that but okay. but yeah so it is it is quite a trek but uh i would say that like so our scene highlights are things that stuck out to us good <laughs> bad or otherwise <laughs> so they're not necessarily good parts of the movie they're memorable but they're memorable yeah like the one that stood out to me the most was probably in the very beginning when they all get they're told that this is a a contest. A contest. Yeah. 
and everyone's trying to fly out of the airport. Yes. And basically, the the two brothers uh, decide that if they they aren't able to fly out, and they decide that if they can't fly out, no one can. Mm-hmm. So they basically mm-hmm. ruin the like the antenna of the airport. The entire airport's like honing like radar system. Right. They, they basically up. break it. But like the whole process of them breaking it is like such a slapstick move that it's like. Again, I wouldn't be able to really describe it accurately or no. com- like you would you have to watch it it's- to think it's funny. But I thought that was really well done. It's a lot of physical comedy. Yes. Um, they're like hanging off from the antenna at one point. Uh, so it is it's a well done scene, I in just, my opinion. Something that's a, like a little bit digression. Again, you know who else I love this movie? Seth Green, who is He's great uh, and everything. Just kiss <laughs> too. He does this, he does party monster. He does. Buffy like, the Vampire Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like, he just does it all. I, like, oh, did I tell you that the one time I saw Macathon? No. Not me. on a panel, but just, like, out in the wild, like, on the floor of, like, the Javits Center. Was he amazing? He was very tiny. He was I very, was going to say, he's, he's probably. very, very short. He's a and, short man. And I was, um, in high school, I was, he was definitely shorter than me, which is hilarious, because I was, like, 17. Um, I was with my high school friend, Mary. Shout out to Mary if you ever listen to this. Um, and... We both are just like so green, and then we just like kind of chased him a little bit, <laughs> and then he, then he like ducked into a bathroom. That was the end. But yeah, so Seth Green, stunning, stunning actor. He can do comedy. He can do drama. I would love to talk to him at length about Party Monster. Yeah, he seems like just like a solid friend to have. No, yeah, and he, like, <laughs> he he seems like he's got like a lot going on up here in the noggin that I really like because he also after this actually yeah both him and uh, Breck and Meyer I don't know if this was like a conscious effort on their part um, they were both on uh, was Robot Chicken like a Seth Green like vehicle I, yeah I think so and I think I think it was the the whole reason why they were both on it is because they were friends yeah yeah so yeah. like uh, researching Breck and Meyer like he was he did a lot of like voice work on that and I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, so the brother, so this is like the first part of their slapstick journey is basically mm-hmm. doing like, I feel like to describe their slapstick as like final destination scenarios, but they're funny because they should be dead many times. Yeah. And a lot of times it's like they're using their environment like yes. around them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I do think that that is a good part of the movie. And if you were going to study this in a film class, <laughs> that that's probably the, one of the only scenes worth looking at in a positive. This is actually shot very well. I'm just like, you get a lot of shots of just like when the car is about to run over them, when a fucking like, like demolition derby is about to kill them both. And like a lot of vehicular homicide related things. Again, iconic duo of just like bumbling idiots yeah. is their thing. Um. So what was, uh, what were one of your, or some of your highlights? Can we talk about the Barbie Museum? We can talk about the Barbie Museum. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So John Lovitz and Kathy and Jimmy, Randy and Beverly pair. Yes. So uh. they are traveling right now. Um, and keep in mind that John Lovitz has not let his family know his real reason for going to uh, Silver Springs, New Mexico. He told them all that he was going for a job opportunity and he just kind of threw them in the car and expected <laughs> them to go with it. And of course they are having some questions mm-hmm. and they don't really understand why they can't even stop to pee. Um, okay. And, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Just to interrupt you. Best line in the entire movie. Dad, I'm prairie dogging. In reference to the fact that she had to so go shit. to the- yeah like immediately <laughs> yeah so he makes her shit out the window um and the next scene is them 
getting well not even getting pulled over they've already been pulled over by a cop and they're mm. having a conversation and then in the background you can see the cop is wiping off his windshield so i, I missed that part yeah i loved that yeah so that was also some gross but good energy i liked um but the barbie museum yeah so so, so they have two kids the son is like a like a tween-ish person mm -hmm. the daughter is like very much like a seven-year-old who conceivably is into barbies because she sees a sign that says the barbie museum and viewer when you're at home thinking about the barbie museum in abstract what are you thinking are you thinking dolls or nazis because immediately in the next scene we get nazis <laughs> <laughs> um so the barbie museum that they stop at um you know conceivably to use the bathroom and also to just like satiate his children or placate his children is a museum dedicated to real life nazi klaus barbie um who i didn't want to research much of his life but again he was obviously terrible enough to have a museum somewhere in the new mexican desert apparently. yes um so yeah, so they, and of course this is a Jewish family going through a Nazi exhibit mm -hmm. and they have to kind of play along because they're terrified. And um, yeah, so that was, it was funny, but it was definitely not something I don't, I'm not quite sure if you could do today. No, I don't, I mean, especially since uh, fun for you at home, uh, we're recording this like three days after a white supremacist insurrection of the Capitol. So in, in 2021, I don't think this would be part of a movie. Um, and, and then this is kind of where the Rashomon aspect for me kind of comes in because while this is happening, Dwayne and Blaine are just like, Hey, is that fucking family? Let's go fuck with their shit. So they just like, I, I don't know what they do, but they just like fuck with the van, with the, the, the pair family's van's engine. They, I think they cut like fluid lines or something. Yeah. yeah. So basically when they're, when the family is rushing out to get in the car and leave, yeah. they realize that they've been cut and yeah. they can't leave, leave. In, in that car. <laughs> so they steal a car from the Barbie museum mm -hmm. and um they realized that it was um adolf hitler's car yeah that they have stolen which feels like okay and i know that like we obviously don't value nazis on this show famously <laughs> um i feel like that would have been under better su supervision but for narrative economy reasons it's just out in the parking lot which good for them they steal hitler's mercedes there's like another nugget in there where um she is going through the glove compartment and picks up a uh, lipstick Ew. that yeah this disgusted me that we can assume belonged to Ava Braun and it's she like, puts it on yes. and she says look I'm Ava Braun and then blows a kissy face at John Lovitz which it was so disgusting I feel, like, yeah I feel some type of way about that especially since like there's a, I mean I think I don't know if it's just like pandemic but also just like as someone I don't really wear makeup but you wear lipstick how old what's the oldest lipstick you've ever reused uh certainly not one from, from the 40s from the 40s correct <laughs> that was on someone else's lips um and a Nazi woman's lips yeah yeah that would part with it was just like visual again just like visual just like grossness and then i forget what the daughter i think she's putting on like jewelry or something she's like look i'm mrs hitler <laughs> yeah i think she puts on like a pair of sunglasses yes. she finds in the back seat so all of this is going on and then basically the um the barbie boys they catch up to them and they're like trying to veer them off the road mm -hmm. and they end up crashing through like a world war ii memorial yes. um and oh something else i forgot to know is that when 
um, when the wife goes to put on the lipstick, John Lovitz uh, grabs it from her and gets some of the lipstick on his hand. So what he does is he rubs it on the uh, steering wheel. Oh, yeah. And then when they crash through, he ends up like hitting the steering wheel with his face. So then he does have like a Hitler mustache. Mm-hmm. Um, and he can't really properly speak because he's just bashed his teeth from crashing into I the wheel. I thought he inhaled something. I, I thought he hit his mouth, which is why he could, could probably. Yeah. But maybe it, maybe it was both. But anyway, he gets up there and he starts speaking. And he sounds like he's speaking in German because he's doing a lot of like hawking. (laughs) And he has the Hitler mustache. So then basically that doesn't go over too well. Um, So that was them. That's a pair family. Yeah, that's like a pair family. It's like a 20 minute Nazi joke with them, which like, again, you cannot do now. Um, To go deeper into just like what I didn't really like about the Whoopi Goldberg, Lanai Chapman storyline. I don't know. I really didn't really care for the whole, like, I really just didn't like their storyline because it just gave us no character. But one thing I would like to talk about a little bit I guess further yes. is their interaction with Kathy Bates and what <laughs> happens like directly afterwards. Okay, so TS up here. So where does Kathy Bates come into rat race? So I believe they're they're traveling in by car right now. Right. And they're going just down like a long road following a map. They come across a woman trying to sell squirrels yes, on the side of the only squirrels she's only selling squirrels in cages which is <laughs> okay and they are trying to get like further directions i guess cuz they're a little turned around yeah. they don't know where they are and she's like really not taking no for an answer she's really trying to get these squirrels like pawn Sold. them off i mean like make that money <laughs> so i get yeah and like Kathy Bates is just like a, a hick basically uh-huh. like she seems like a sweet woman but just like not the the sharpest tool in the or shed. is she i mean i guess eh. she is a little smarter than we give yeah. credit for but she's coming across as kind of like a country bumpkin yes right yeah um and they're just talking and they're telling her like no we don't want a squirrel we just want directions so finally she says like well, you don't have to be so rude about it or whatever. And then she gives them directions and says, like, here's some nuts for your for like your travels in mm-hmm. case you see any squirrels along the way. And it's like a, a bag that I think is like written in marker, I love squirrels or uh-huh. something on it. And so they say, Great, thank you. They continue. And then they realize that the directions she gave them is specific directions for people who do not buy her squirrels. Mm-hmm. And their car goes down this like it's a steep hill. It's not really a cliff because it's it's kind of like giving you Thelma and Louise, but like lower stakes because it's just a very steep cliff That's or like a true. steep hill. And then there are signs along the way that just says like you should have bought a squirrel, which I thought was very funny. Um, yeah. So then they wreck their car going down this like cliff hill thing, uh-huh. and then you see that they hit another car that is already clearly crashed, uh-huh. and then out pops a skeleton holding a bag, holding the same bag that says like I love squirrels. So clearly she does this to regularly. Everyone. Apparently, she's <laughs> apparently killed many people like this and does not care. So I mean, she was wonderful, like, but she definitely played the same kind of character I feel like we've seen her do before. It was like a lighthearted misery. It was yes. like a very lighthearted, just like, hey, you like squirrels? I know you like squirrels. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg and Lenny Chapman. So then they're just kind of wandering through the desert, mm-hmm. and they come 
to I guess it's like a like a rocket. Yes, it's it's a car that I think they they're like testing the sound barrier or something. Yeah, they're trying to like set a Guinness a world record for, for like fast like a car that can break the sound barrier. Sure, okay. I'm yeah, I'm not going to go into the science of this, but I'm sure that's probably I don't um, know. So they jump into this rocket right before it's supposed <laughs> to go off. Yes. But this is also very like Looney Tunes Roadrunner. Yes. Because so they just go you they go just go super fast is what happens. Yes, they go super fast through this desert. Uh-huh. And then by the time it runs out of gas, they are so like disoriented from yes, it. Yeah. They continue to wander around the desert, but they're like stumbling around. I, I have a qu- I have a quick little little sidebar here. I yes. feel like again the physics of this movie, they should have permanent brain damage from that. Like they're not Absolutely. trained to ride in like a super car that should break the sound barrier. Okay, yeah, I could at least buy them in their state or more. Yeah. <laughs> um. So they're stumbling around a bit and they get to a bus. Like it's a bus that has been parked on the side of the road and there are other just people kind of wandering around mm-hmm. outside. And you realize that it is a bus full of adults with various uh, mental health conditions. I, I guess, yeah. It and... doesn't really specify what exactly. It's 2001. We're not meant to care about this at this point. So, yeah. like, so fortunately, that's yeah. And basically the, um, I guess the, I don't know if it's the bus driver. Or like a nur- or it's like a, a nurse, nurse or some kind of orderly who's just like, okay, come on, everybody back on the bus. And, okay. And immediately I'm just like, why would you Okay, first of all, you've never seen these women before in your life. One's dressed in a business suit, and Whoopi Goldberg is wearing like some something like else. Chico's yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, you've never seen these women before in your life. You're the worst nurse in the entire world. <laughs> so she mistakes them for some of her patients, a couple of her yeah. patients, I guess, and she ushers them onto the bus as well. Right. So that's like problematic in and of itself. Oh yeah, because like, again, like. <sighs> women with no agency kind of just being like shuffled onto a bus of you know adults where like we have no regard for these people other than the fact that the joke is their developmental disabilities and that's a wrap on that (laughs) storyline yeah let's let's wrap on that one (laughs) yeah exactly and thank god for for all of the people involved in that because i feel like if there were any other I feel like if it were anyone other than like Kathy Bates and like Whoopi Goldberg, I'm like, I would feel less safe in that scene because they make you feel a little bit okay about this in a way that like, oh, okay. But let's specify you're talking about their interaction with Kathy Bates, not their interaction with the mental. They should have cut that part out. (laughs) They really should have just cut that part out. That was not okay. (laughs) Yeah. And this is something that like a serious point that I was like, I think probably why I really don't like this movie now, like after having watched it like a million times, is that for the only two black women in this movie, we get like nothing of their interiority in the way that like we even get like the pair family or, you know, like Dwayne and Blaine in their weird fucking fraud schemes. Um, And they don't even really treat Owen, Cuba Gooding Jr. like this. But like, you know, this is a period of time when like I feel in comedy it was starting to get a lot more tokenized and a lot more whitewashed again. And it's very, very recently that we're starting to get out of that. I don't know. What did, did, did this, did this part, like, am I reading too into that or is, did this stick out to you? 
They stuck out to me, and I don't think you're wrong. It seemed like really lazy writing. Yes. It seemed like they poured a lot of their energy into the other characters. Mm -hmm. I think that they felt that other characters were more worthy of a subplot, I guess. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's not true. (laughs) Exactly. No, and I I think like that goes back to the whole like through the lens of 2001, this is what was acceptable for comedy for women, which is a good segue I think into Amy Smart. The the one, I guess, like protagonist love interest in this film that... Using air quotes with that that one. That was strong air quotes that I feel like, again, this movie doesn't have an opinion on women. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have a good opinion on women. Um, You know, we get John Lovitz's wife who... It's kind of just like a nag. She's she's the nag, yeah. yeah. Then we get um, Kathy Bates, who's just like a hick on the side of the road. Yeah, she's she's basically like reprising her role from Misery, but funny. Then we get like Whoopi Goldberg and her daughter, which is just like one note. Yeah, um, um, which is again, we don't get really a story from them. And then we get um, <laughs> Amy, Smart. Amy Smart, who I guess she's supposed to be like considered unhinged, yeah. but like they don't present her well either (laughs) and they also just like her being unhinged comes literally out of nowhere like when breck and meyer has a meet cute with her at an airport and they have cute banter and then uh for some reason he kind of like finagles his way onto her helicopter because she's a helicopter pilot so she's flying them to new mexico she's you know he's on the way so theoretically this should be the least stressful part of the race for him but again breaking laws Commercial aviationists, hit us up. Can you do this scenario? Say, hey, I just want to say hi to my boyfriend really quick and deviate from your flight plan on the... Like, she's theoretically working. Uh, So they fly over um, a New Mexico neighborhood and she's going to go visit her boyfriend. Again, celebrity Dean Kane, And you you only see him from the air because they're in a helicopter. Yeah. They go over to his house and they're flying above and they see... And she sees... Which is also strange. She sees her boyfriend's ex-girlfriend's car in yes. the driveway, which is strange. Like, I don't know who knows what kinds of car they're, they're, their current significant other's exes drive. I think yeah. that is a whole other level. That was, of, yeah, that was like a detail that I'm like, wait, how do you, yeah, how do you know that? I didn't interrogate that until just now. I think it's, I mean, it's supposed to show us that she's a... Much? Yeah. yeah. Um... But anyway, so she sees that and then this she kind of, kind of what attacks sets her them. Off. So the Dean Kane, I don't even know if his character gets a name, uh, is just chilling in the pool looking hot with just another person. And this is where Amy Smart just has ha- had it. Because <laughs> she just throws everything in the helicopter at them and flies really close to the ground. Like, again, should be dead. Like, they should all be dead. Uh, and then actively tries to kill Dean Kane with the helicopter blades. Um, and then this is my favorite part of this. She has a paint can. She's a can of paint in her helicopter. For what reason? I actually can answer this question. Okay, good. So the reason why she's flying her helicopter to New Mexico is because she said that they were repainting the whole fleet. Oh. So I, it's strange that she would have the paint in her helicopter, but I think that's what they're trying to infer is that there's paint in the helicopter because they're going to be repainting. And just one can of paint of what looks like wall paint. It's like a can of yeah. paint you get from Lowe's, <laughs> and it's also pink. I don't know if you got that. It's like a is it pink? It's like Pepto Bismol pink. Oh my gosh! That she dumps, I did not catch that, that. She dumps on Dean Kane's truck, and I'm like, okay, cool. So she just has building supplies in her helicopter. That's fine with me. Uh, meanwhile, Breck and Meyer's freaking out because, understandably so, this woman went from zero to three hundred in about five minutes. And again, this movie has such an inconsistent tone 
with women as characters that the only interiority we ever get is that they're either nags or they want to kill you. Yeah. And that's kind of it. Yeah. Um, so that was, and then that's it though with Amy Smart. Then for the rest of the movie, yeah. if I recall, she's like a very leveled out human being. Yeah, she, <laughs> like she never has another episode like this, which. No, no. I mean, I don't know if they're trying to make her a little bit more endearing because she does end up with Breckenmeyer at the end. I get, yeah. Um, to, to, what, to what we know. Spoiler alert. They end up together. Um, <laughs> to what we know, because again, we never focus on these two ever again in the movie. And. She literally says my favorite line of hers. She's like, we just committed 117 federal felonies. <laughs> so they just leave. And I'm like, cool. I guess that's it for you. And then we cut to Owen, Cuba Gooding Jr. The scenario in which he basically, again, just commits fraud and tries to, it tricks a bus driver into giving him his clothes and also the keys to his bus. Um... I thought he was going to kill him. Like, <laughs> just, at first, you kind of get like crazy eye Cuba Gooding Jr. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't like this. What are you yeah. about to do? And then he gets him to persuade him to give him his clothes by lying about saying that his there's... Wife's his wife's going to labor? Yes. Um, then he leaves the bus driver basically naked in the bathroom and hops on this bus. Yeah. And it's an entire bus of just like Lucille Ball impersonators. But they're already all in costume and in character. Like, they only talk in Lucille Ball, like, affect. Yes. Um, and that's that's kind of it. And they're also, like, a Lucille Ball hive mind in that we never learn any of their names. They all also refer to each other as Lucy, which is insane to me, and I love that. Yeah. Um, they all they all have, like, whenever they respond, it's like they kind of respond at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they obviously, and in Lucille ball fashion they just constantly make things worse so they yeah. just like mess things up for poor um poor owen uh but there is like a very there is a joke that i think we need to touch on at the mm, very least um when he's talking to so basically all the lucy's mess up the bathroom in the bus mm -hmm. and one of the lucy's approaches owen as he's driving asking if owen can just pull over um and he can't and he can't uh, because he's trying to get somewhere he's like well he's like it's fine he's like you can i think he says something like leave the door open in the bathroom yes, there's something yeah. that fact he's like it's not like you haven't seen um it's not like you have something that the other lucy's haven't seen before and then mm. all of a sudden the lucy the that particular lucy the voice drops and um you realize that it's it's a man's voice oh, no. <laughs> and that's you know a pretty a pretty tasteless joke i think it it was very again like through the lens of 2001 man in dress haha -ha, was the joke yeah like, um that was it and that was the joke and then that causes owen to go into like a weird anxiety spiral yeah the whole idea of like men in dresses haha -ha, is a very dated um, yeah like it's a, it's joke. a very 2001 comedy central joke right and that causes him to i guess like they run into the cow that was part of i'm not even gonna get into it because blaine and Dwayne. this is again chekhov's cow from a thing that like blaine and Dwayne got into some kind of weird chase with a man in a handy store in like a hardware store and ended up going through a field and the field end up in snares like a cow and then the cow ends up attached to a hot air balloon. That's all you need to know. 
And that sounds insane. And Rebecca, you're looking at me like I have three heads, but that's what happened. No, I know. I'm not looking yeah. at you like that. I'm just remembering that scene yeah. and like how it might sound out of place just discussing it right now, but that's it was out of place. It was out of place there too in the movie. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this? It's literally Chekhov's cow because this cow thing with Dwayne and Blaine was from like 40 minutes ago. And then it crashes into the bus and that's how Owen ends up on the side of the road again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's pretty much like that's the highlights. Yeah, that's like all you need to know, honestly. Um, oh, well, we forgot the, the best highlight of them all would oh. be the ending. Oh, my loves <laughs> the Smash Mouth. All of the cast ends up on the stage of a charity Smash Mouth concert, which I would have loved to have attended. Um, Smash Mouth is supposed to be playing for this charity. It's like a live aid parody. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And basically at the end, they are having this debate as to whether or not they should donate their money to this charity or keep it for themselves. Yeah. And obviously they for the, choose For to the sake of the movie, it. obviously they have to donate they it. They donate it and then everyone's happy the end. And then Smash Mouth plays All-Star, and that's how we end the movie. Yeah, so... Um, oh my god, I hated this so much. This. <laughs> so we didn't like it no. on our millionth watch, but let's let's get into some of the reviews, oh, shall okay. we? Okay, so the reviews I pulled, so I just pulled Rotten Tomatoes. They're not good, <laughs> as you can imagine. Uh, guess a percentage for me. Um, ooh, 30s? You're not off. It's 44% rotten. Okay. That's <laughs> uh, better than I thought. Average, yeah, I was like, that's kind of high, actually, for this movie. Out of one, an average of 128 reviews, it has an average rating of 4.94 out of 10. So, like, honestly, whatever. There are worse movies. I'm assuming these ratings came out when the movie came out. And I don't know. if we had. Well, in yeah. my so I'm thinking, if they had if most of these ratings came through when mm -hmm. the actual movie came out, we or at least closer to when they actually came mm -hmm. out. Um if someone had asked us back then if we would have rated that movie, I feel like we would have given it, you know, a higher. A little below 50%. Yeah. I think we would have given it higher than 50% when we were 12. Oh, probably, because at 12 years old, we had not gone to film classes. <laughs> or developed taste. Taste, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's actually the thing, is that um, in uh, researching for this episode, a lot of people really like this as, like, a cult movie, and I don't know that it merits a cult movie status. I feel like... It in if we're talking about cult movie as like this weird movie where mm -hmm. everyone likes like people keep talking about it people are still talking about rat race yeah like i was looking at my instagram stories the other day and yeah. somebody posted about watching it which is so <laughs> insane but i just well so uh yeah so again like mixed ratings from critics because critics are fucking curmudgeons who don't have fun and hate smash mouth apparently <laughs> And uh, apparently very popular with just the lay people. On Metacritic, yeah. they they gave it a score of 52 out of 50. Yeah. Or out of... <laughs> <laughs> 52 out of 100. Woof oh, I love that. I would have loved it when their scale ended at 50. But they were like, 52. That's very funny. Um, and that was based on 26 critics. Okay. Um, but what I found interesting was on CinemaScore, it got a B+. Plus. <laughs> um but on an a plus to f scale so that's i mean again I, I, I don't know when all of these websites were up and running like when they started yeah. but if people rated these movies closer to when they actually came out then um this, this makes this yeah. this does kind of track and I, I think also like i don't know if critics today i don't really read a lot of reviews of like contemporary films but i know that like 
knowing that like Whoopi Goldberg and John Lovitz and like some pretty like John Cleese, like I don't think they would have given it like lower reviews than this, knowing that like these very established names in comedy were in this movie. Right. So like I think like take that into consideration when like we're thinking about this seems a little high, considering just how like transparent and one note this movie kind of is. Uh, which leads us to um, our closing thought for, for today. Do you think slapstick has a place in comedy today? Yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, so so here's my here's my problem. I feel like a good slapstick routine will still make me laugh, but I think in this just climate of everything, yeah. it would just seem so jarring yeah. to get a movie that was purely built on like physical comedy. I yeah. feel like I feel like there's enough of those movies already out where if you're really craving one, just watch something that's already been and, done. And I think that like it it does speak to like the cultural mood, especially in the past two decades post 9-11 of like it's a different world, a different culture. I don't think people have become more complicated, but for some reason, comedy has become more complicated. Um, obviously, many of the things that we discussed as tropes and jokes, like, you just kind of can't do in, like, a movie anymore uh, for very obvious reasons, because people get offended. And we're not going to make a value judgment on cancel culture or not. Um, I personally don't think it exists. I feel like it's a boogeyman argument. Uh, and I think this movie is, like I said at the beginning of this episode, kind of a swan song to this type of like uncomplicated white male comedy. Yeah, it's a pretty uncomplicated yeah. plot line. You get a bunch of people who are considered, I would guess, of the middle class mm -hmm. and you make them like tear each other to shreds for, for $2 million. For $2 million. Um, and uh, this is also like by a billionaire who is pulling the strings. Yeah. I, I mean... So it's it still has that message of like money equals bad. Yeah. But like oh, I just if this again, like if this were remade now, it would just be the hunt. Yeah. Because that's like that's kind of it that kind of also follows a little bit of the same beats. Not as funny. Um so yeah, I don't know. I feel like slapstick, it's not that it does or doesn't have a place in comedy. I just couldn't picture a situation no. where a slapstick movie would come out and I would say like Hell yeah. But <laughs> do I think like older slapstick comedies are funny? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 I enjoy them. Like, so um, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's a tough, it's a toughie. Like researching for this, I mean, like the 90s was full of it. Like Keenan Kel, we had Good Burger. We had, you know, all of this comedy that appealed to both millennial children and I guess like Gen X to a certain extent, but they were always kind of cranky. But yeah, like it, it is of its time and... I'm glad we can leave it there. Yeah, I definitely don't have any intention of watching this again. I'm never going to see this again. But like... Never. I, I feel <laughs> like it will still live live in my brain. Like there'll definitely be moments where it'll be like a flashback where I'll see something. I'll try really hard not to think about it though. Uh, re I was outlining this episode and like doing the research on uh, various Rotten Tomatoes and Wikipedia and whatever else on the internet, listening to All Star on a Loop. Um, all right that's that's some dedication that i did not have so you're an all-star um yeah so that's where we're leaving this today because <laughs> our brains have been melted by this movie um rat race should you see it should should the people see it <sighs> oh, that see i think 
you would probably be better for not seeing this movie. But should you maybe put it on and like, see, I don't know, because I loved this movie growing Mm -hmm. up. And now I never want it near me ever again. If it's on on like an airplane, maybe. Yeah, I guess maybe that would be like, I would be (laughs) a casual watcher. Like if I were channel channel surfing, not that anyone ever really channel surfs these days. But if I was doing that, then um maybe then maybe um, but like i could never picture myself like sitting, sitting like down if it were on and, netflix yeah. i couldn't picture myself selecting it yeah, like fuck yeah um, watch rat race or like if blockbuster ever comes back into the fold i couldn't imagine running <laughs> out to blockbuster and picking this up like i did when i was 12 <sighs> like being excited to take this movie home and watch it i don't think that's something i could imagine myself doing I want to rewrite American Pie like the Don McLean song, but like all of the references are just to 2001 culture. That's a task, but I'm I'm ready for it. Okay. I'm ready to hear what you come up with. And that's how we're ending the show. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you liked our act. This is actually like our first official episode. And I think just from like, we're fully transparent of the fact that like, we've never hosted a podcast before. Never. We no. literally just decided that we, you know, liked talking to each other mm-hmm. and we would have phone conversations that lasted hours. <laughs> and we figured why not translate that to a podcast. And monetize it. But well, I don't even know if we're going to get there. But yeah, we might. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I hope you all liked it. I hope you all like I it. Um, it's my sincere hope uh, when we were writing kind of like the treatment for this podcast that much like many podcasts, if you're washing your dishes right now, if you're in your car, if you're just like having your headphones in and you don't want to interact with the outside world, let us be your shining light. Through what did these... you refer to our podcast as? Like we specialize in set like good... soothing noises, soothing noises, soothing yes. noises and loud opinions. <laughs> um, I really like that. Thank you. Uh, at time of upload, you can listen to us on Apple iTunes. Apple podcast. I think our Apple iTunes and podcast the same thing. I don't really know. Um, Apple. I mean, they're separate apps. Oh, okay. Okay. Then Apple iTunes and Apple podcasts. But uh, wait, isn't Apple iTunes like no more? Isn't Apple discontinuing iTunes? Oh, I didn't know that. I think they I are. I use iTunes, so who cares? Yeah. Um, so you listen to us on whatever Apple podcast <laughs> thing you use. Um, Anchor, Spotify, and Stitcher. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe. All right. Bye. We love you. You're very special. Go home. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha!